You're listening to G'day World on the Podcast Network. My name is Cameron Riley. Welcome to the show. If it's your first time, if you're uh, an old-timer, welcome back. Last night, uh, Tuesday night, I did my now regular weekly live show. For those of you that haven't listened to the live show, you should try and tune in if you can. It's a lot of fun. This was another four-hour show we did last night, which was sort of a trend that was set the previous week when Nick Hodge was co-hosting with me. Last night, the first part of the show, I had a guest, Fee Bendel. Fee uh, runs Bendels, B-E-N-D-A-L-L-S.com.au, based in Sydney. She's a digital uh, strategist. And we had a great chat around the some of the challenges that large organizations have in their corporate culture with adopting social media and some of the things that may need to happen inside of organizations for them to be able to truly take advantage of social media. Um, there was some live music before this. There was a lot of live music afterwards. Um, we, we do about an hour and a half here with Fee and then... Um, uh, for the next few hours, which aren't in this recording. Um, Michael Maloney from Brisbane, who runs somebodythinkofthechildren.com, amongst other things, joined me and uh, we sang some songs. We talked politics, religion, uh, online dating, uh, all the usual things. Um, <laughs> it got a little bit out of hand. As I said, it went for many hours. So if you want to tune into uh, future live shows, go to g'dayworld.thepodcastnetwork.com slash live and you'll find all of the details there. Runs at 8 o'clock uh, Australian Eastern time um, on a Tuesday night. Um, and with that, let me introduce you to uh, last night's show with Fee Bendel. You can find Fee on Twitter at at Fee Bendel, F-I-B-E-N-D-A-L-L. Also, before I go, don't forget the uh, TPN Fund Drive, relying on you guys at the moment to uh, support TPN so I can afford to keep the servers up and running. It's quite an expensive exercise. And we don't have revenue coming in from advertising at the moment. So uh, go to tpn.thepodcastnetwork.com slash pledge. You'll find details there. Or just go to tpn.thepodcastnetwork.com. All we really need is if 500 listeners signed up to a $20 a month subscription for all of the content across TPN, that would enable me to uh, run, keep you know, meet all of our uh, running costs on a monthly basis, which uh, 500 out of the hundreds of thousands of listeners that we've had doesn't sound like a lot. Um, I'm going to call you the TPN 500, and you will be like our uh, unofficial board, uh, advisory board, You know, our patrons, the TPN 500. Um, I might even give you a little badge or uh, something like that that you can flash when you're going into nightclubs. Anyway, uh, here's, my new, <laughs> here's my chat with Fee Bendel from last night. Oh, my God. You're like listening to G'day World with Cameron Riley on the podcast network. Whatever. There you go. Welcome to G'day World Live. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let me bring in uh, Fee Bendel. Fee, why don't you describe yourself, Fee? Uh, name, rank, and serial number. Uh, okay. Fee Bendel, um, at least 21. Um uh, <laughs> been in in the uh, digital world since the beginning actually um i actually started my life in consumer electronics so. since the beginning when was the beginning of the digital world we're talking like the 40s oh, the uh, yeah, was, you know I think... <laughs> one of the, the original computer or were you were were you there when they built you know the first computers 
I actually remember the BBC launching the first computer, actually. And um, I, I actually started my life in publishing and consumer electronics when we would worry about using the term camcorder because we didn't think people would understand what it actually meant. Well, so, uh, so that is quite, a long time ago. But you're only yeah. 24, Fee. So how did you compress all of this into five short years? I know. It's amazing. It's called a time machine. It is amazing. So um, I'm going to put my microphone up here. So Fee, um, what do you do now? Fee? Sorry, I just missed that. Yeah. What, hey. what, do you, what do you do now, Fee? So um, over the last sort of, I suppose, Hello. 12 to 15 years, I've been really involved in the digital industry uh, from, you know, right from the very beginning. And when I came to Australia five years ago, um, got involved with the industry here from uh, quite a mature industry in London. So it's been really interesting times to see how the Australian industry has evolved. And, and what, what do you do on a day-to-day basis, Fee Bendel? Oh, day-to-day basis. Um, okay, I clean my teeth. No, that aside, I, uh, I um, spend my time um, hopefully trying to talk to people about how digital can become part of their business, can change their business, can do things for their business in cost-effective ways and innovative ways um, to deliver real value. And it's not... Um, just want to define that that's not just about marketing. I think people talk a lot about digital marketing, but digital is actually changing the way that organizations are run and how they behave. And even more so now with the um, advent of technology allowing people to connect with anybody they want all over the world. So I really talk to a lot of organizations about that change. Um, as you can imagine, and I'm sure you appreciate, over the last certainly 18 months, there's been a massive demand for people asking me to talk to them about social media. I tend to take, again, stay away from the social advertising component of that. I think it has a really good role, but um, I tend to really more talk to organisations about the implications of um, social media to their company and how they may or may not be able to use it. So you spend a lot of time talking with uh, what big corporates, uh, uh, government agencies, those sorts about social media. Um, probably less government, but uh, I have obviously have uh, quite a lot of experience in the NGO space, and I have a lot of experience in terms of commercial organisations and uh, sectors such as the finance sector, um, such as uh, mainstream entertainment uh, organisations. Um, and and some of them, you know, they're they're actually as companies they're having a really hard time. They want to innovate, but the laws don't necessarily allow them to innovate. So you take the finance sector. I mean, they, you know, they're doing some fantastic things. You know, the top four banks in Australia. Some of them are doing some really great stuff, but they're also hampered by the fact that the laws haven't actually kept up with the technology. And I sometimes wonder if the laws ever will. To be honest with you, it's moving so fast. Um, just for the people that are saying I'm too soft, yes, I know. It's uh, we've, we've had lots of problems getting the uh, uh, the balance of fee side and my side working, so I will just try to remember to lean into the microphone when I talk, and you can hear my dulcet tones. Does that sound better, folks? Do I sound louder when I'm up here? It looks good on the meter. I'll just try and remember to do that. So, um, Fee, why, why don't we talk a little bit about – I know that one of your big passions is about uh, – corporate cultural changes and social media. 
how how the the idea of actually talking to the audience that the kind of social media requires is um, Cameron's talking. Does anyone know what about hi ten four twenty? Um, yes. Uh, well, if you've just joined us, the 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 guest tonight is Fee Bendel from Bendels dot com dot au b e n d a l s, and we're talking about uh, social media and big companies and sort of the cultural changes that are being required inside of large organisations uh, uh, in order for them to be able to uh, successfully engage in things like Twitter and podcasts and blogging. Um, I'll type the domain name in there for you, D-Mouse, uh, B-E-N, because you can't understand my thick Aussie brogue. There you go. Um, so, uh, Fee... You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about recently in talking to clients is uh, there seems to be a big fear, both on behalf of the clients and their agencies, to engage in an open and honest and transparent discussion with the marketplace. Um, is that something that you find when you're talking to clients? Are they still really scared about, quote-unquote, social media? Yeah, I, I think um, to a certain extent, all of us are a little bit scared of it. You know, I mean, it's um, it's had a really dramatic effect on the way we all communicate. Um, there's uh, complex, complexity has replaced stability. Speed of communication is accelerated. There's no geographical boundaries. The volume of information is so massive that we're all turning to each other to try and um, find the information that we want or that's recommended to us. And it's all based on open networks. And that that is a cultural change not just a marketing change so um of course you know corporate affairs departments and legal departments and organizations are struggling to understand that and there'll be obviously a, a number of people in those organizations that are really into on a personal basis whether it's twitter or facebook or you know any of those communities but um to bring that into an organization and for that organization to understand that they're I suppose the customer oxygen is going to be running through the hallways of that corporation in a way it never has done before. It takes big changes across the whole organization, not just the marketing department. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the advertising agencies also must be struggling with that because they're obviously trying to serve their clients and both sides are grappling with the fact that the whole landscape has changed. And it's not just... It, it, advertising agencies or marketeers you know the research industry has changed there's you know you can sit and monitor twitter and you've got a whole live focus group if you're an organization in front of you you know so it's it's the whole way that you might process information the whole way that we behave in in tribal communities has completely changed and that's going to be a challenge for anybody and it's still changing it's you know i could be talking to you tonight by next week there could be a, another twitter emerge you know did you have you been watching the amazon fail thing that happened today yeah i watched a bit of it actually i've been in meetings most of the day so i'm i'm not gonna put my head up to talk about it too much i just clocked some of it going on yeah i think it's it's a good example of some of the things that can can happen really quickly and and uh blow up really fast before people <laughs> Drink Red Bull mm. camera, dude. People are trying to tell me. I'm, I'm <laughs> wide awake. Thank you, folks. I've got uh, better than Red Bull. I have uh, Talisca um, single malt from um, the Isle of Skye. Um, <laughs> speed bunny bold like a bird on a wing. 
Isle of Sky, and um, it's good stuff. Bit peaty. I like that in my scotch. Um, so uh, yeah, so the, so for people who didn't see the Amazon foul thing, hard to miss if you're on Twitter today. But um, essentially, it seems like Amazon has started to over the last couple of days started to delete the sales ranking numbers for gay and lesbian themed books uh, um, on in their catalog. And it, it sort of erupted over the last couple of days on Twitter with the uh, Twitter tag Amazon fail. Thank you, uh, Nick Hodge, for throwing that into the uh, stream there. And um, Amazon uh, has apparently responded, uh, I read on uh, one of the news sites, one of the blogs tonight, saying that, uh, sorry, it was a technical mistake and um, they will be fixing it. But the initial response when some of the uh, gay uh, authors and, and people following this stuff contacted Amazon, they were told that, yeah, Amazon uh, doesn't give sales ranking information for adult material. And then the people pointed out that not all of these books were adult material and also that uh, some Playboy books had uh, sales ranking numbers up there. So um, uh, Amazon sort of uh, turned around a few times and uh, eventually they came out with an announcement saying that uh, it was a technical error and will be corrected. But I guess the point is, <laughs> what a gay excuse, says 38787. Um, you know, the point is that there was a huge furor in uh, the Twitter sphere. And I imagine, you know, you would think that Amazon is one company that would know how to deal with this kind of stuff fairly well. But um, even Amazon uh, was really struggling to come up with a, uh, a fast response. It took them a couple of days to come out. Um, you know, Fee, when you're dealing with clients and you're um, giving them advice on how they should deal with something like Twitter, I mean, what do you tell a marketing director or a CEO about, uh, you know, what, what they should do when um, their product or their company gets bad-mouthed uh, in Twitter? Um, I, think, <laughs> I think the thing is that the most negative comments are actually – the best comments that you can actually respond to if you're willing to be authentic. But the, the problem that I've come across is that um, if organisations want to get involved with Twitter, they can't follow the same processes that they've been used to following. We set up messages and it all gets signed off and it goes through a process and then we send that message out to market and it might be a week later that they've said that. They've got to respond within either seconds or, you know, certainly a a couple of hours at the outset and um, in a, a number of contracts that I have with clients where I'm working with them, uh, one of the things I ask for as, as a commitment is the, re the review process for responses no longer than four hours. Otherwise, you just can't do it. You just can't do it. And, th and that's part of the problem that these companies have. They can't, they cannot turn around or get the sign off to turn around and, respond as individuals like you and I might might respond to so they're struggling to to be part of the conversation because it's all part of a much bigger picture and they're not set up to actually do that so I've been fortunate with um, a few of the clients not all but a few of the clients I've worked with where they have actually said okay we'll test this and we'll we'll commit to this four-hour thing and they have responded, and it's been really positive because when someone says something, I mean, I think the best example of this, which happened years and years ago, was with GM Motors setting up the Fastlane blogs, and 
getting trashed and taking it on the chin. And within a few weeks, they were being applauded for the fact they put themselves out there. So when someone's negative about you, I think as an organisation, if you can turn around and go, you know what, you're right, we're crap, we're going to go away and take that on board and, and look at it, is brilliant. Unfortunately, the processes in organisations, and it is it their fault? It's not their fault. They just haven't been able to go as quick as the whole media channel is running, and it's going faster and faster. It's not slowing down. So it's, it is a real issue, you know, um, and the only other way that you can get around it is if you have someone working for you um, who is on Twitter, who's a bit of a personality and, and the brand's in the background, that you trust them enough to respond as the personality of the brand, as the individual personality who happens to work for that brand. And I've seen that work quite successfully. So, I mean, when I talk, I was, I was with some, uh, you know, a PR company uh, last week or the week before having a chat to them about this, and they were asking the question like, well, oh, I'm off of camera. Let me move my microphone. Here we go. Bloody microphone is huge. Um, they were asking the question, you know, how do you, how do you prepare a company to respond to something like this? I mean, do you uh, appoint somebody within the organization who is in charge of Twitter response, like a, a, a Nick Hodge kind of guy, the, the guy who's on Twitter and everybody likes and everyone has a relationship with, do you just give him a carte blanche to be the early response squad, um, like a Robert Scoble did at Microsoft uh, when he still worked there in the early to mid-2000s? Or uh, I don't know, what other strategies are there for quickly responding to these sorts of things that can blow up within a matter of milliseconds? I, I think you're absolutely right. And when you talk about Nick, I think that's actually, um, as long as he's aware of what the parameters are of what he can and can't say in terms of, um, you know, all those legal parameters around copyright and slander. And unfortunately, they still apply in the social, well, maybe fortunately, they still apply in the social network space is a really good idea. Um, the other thing that I picked up on that I think is really quite clever is Chris Brogan's book on personal branding. And he talks about developing a personal brand online, but if you actually apply that, there's going to be some guy in your organization, whoever your organization is, who's naturally quite interested or it, it wants to be involved in social media and might get a bit into working on Twitter. And if you can actually allow them as an organization and, and develop that as a personal brand as the front of your organization, I think that's actually a really smart move. Um, and that's something I, I talk to clients about a lot is who is in your organization that gets this they're a natural at it they understand the natural laws and etiquette of it so they're not going to get you in trouble they can be a bit cheeky and they can create a different level of branding as a personality online so can you can you can you kind of build those people or or do you have to find them inside of the organization typically do you think i think both i i think there are people who naturally stand out. I was um, with one organization and um, they were considering and exploring using their customer service team to do postbacks. Okay. And what's so a, we were. Wait, 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 wait. What's a, what's a postback? So posting back to blogs. So if there's, you know, you write a post, Cameron, and someone might write a comment. Okay. Right, okay. I, I thought so, it was like a razorback. I thought it was a kind of wild <laughs> boar murdering pig running through the outback of Australia. 
God, it would have been more interesting if it was. Right. Um, so, you know, they write a comment on that blog. You might have mentioned their brand or their company, and they go, well, I work for the customer service team, obviously being honest to who they are, blah, blah, blah. And we went through this process, and immediately and naturally, out of a group of a, a, quite a large group of people, there were two guys that emerged who just got this stuff. And they might not have been talking to their boss about the fact that they were into Twitter and Facebook and, you know, all these kind of technologies, but they were naturals at it. And they were also really quite funny and engaging people. And they understood how to write the language. Now, if you can identify those kind of people in your company to be almost, you know, they take their own personal brand into the space, but the fact they work for your company and they can respond and go, well, actually I worked for that company and what you've just said is right or wrong or start the debate or at least participate in the conversation I think that's a really smart thing to do. And how much does that cost you? You know, okay, and it motivates it motivates people in your own organisation as well. But there's this is there's this um, entrenched culture I fear in uh, corporations with marketing directors and PR people and their agencies that makes it very difficult for them to uh, tell the truth. And let's let's I'm going to pull an example out. Um, I, I did a blog post the other day about naked communications and their um, man lost the jacket campaign. You familiar with that campaign, Fee? Yes, I think we all are. <laughs> I think, well, you told me about it. I actually wasn't familiar. I, it, it apparently happened in January and I must have had my um, attention somewhere else in January because I didn't hear about it. But here's the thing that I, I wanted to talk about. Um, the, it was obviously a lady. Because <laughs> all of the rest of us heard about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it probably was a lady. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was distracted by a woman, as usual. You were. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, here's the thing that really annoyed me when I was reading about that. Not just the fact that the campaign was was terrible, but when they were found out, the folks at Naked Communications came out and basically defended it based on the numbers. They said. Well, you know, we got a couple of hundred thousand views of the video on YouTube and we did a survey and, you know, 50% of people said that they'd heard of the Witchery brand, which was the, the company that was their client. They didn't, for a second, understand or acknowledge that they were just lying, deceitful idiots. Yeah, 5034 on the Ustream feed said the naked guy lost his job. I heard that as well, that um, this the, one of the main guys who was coming out and defending the campaign ended up leaving the company. I think he was one of the founders of Naked Communications. Yeah, he was. But here's one of the things that, that really upset me about that and really worries me about what's happening with social media at the moment is the fact that the, it, you know, there's a lot of buzz happening around, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook in particular. And the agencies, you know, the ad agencies, the PR agencies, the, the digital agencies, whatever that may be, um, you know, web developers and whatever. They, they are jumping on board and saying, yeah, we understand this stuff. And they're going out and advising clients about it. And they are using the same techniques of manipulation, audience manipulation that were commonplace in 20th century media. They're bringing this into social media. And not only are they uh, polluting social media by you know, using these same sorts of concepts of, of manipulation. But then they're turning around and defending it based on the numbers. And I, I did a great um, interview, uh, well, I thought it was great, with um, uh, Miss Rogue the other day, Tara Hunt, who's got this book, The Woofy Factor, coming out. And Tara's one of the 
best known uh, social media strategists, I guess, in San Francisco. And we were talking about this change um, where people, uh, where, where, where marketing and PR folks have to start to understand that it's not about numbers, it's about trust, it's about reputation, it's about the quality of the conversation that you're having, not how many people you hit with your spray shotgun. It's how, how do we get people to change the metrics that they value? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I think the problem is that whether it's the agencies or the companies, um, the, the core underlying fact of this is it's, uh, lack the understanding and they lack the operational effectiveness of how social contribution is playing out in their organisation. And it's so broad and so out of reach to them. There's a massive gap in terminology and strategy and tactics and in philosophies. And they need to be handheld. And um, there's a part of me that, and just call it instinct, that just says that there's uh, people who have gone out there, that the individuals that have created this space, and it is individuals that have created this space, not corporations, not agencies, not anybody else, but individuals who have become hugely influential. You know, we've just seen uh, Tourism Australia bring over a, an American blogger. It's an audience of 5 million people. That's an enormous audience um, as an individual. And I don't get why the organisations aren't turning to those individuals or the agencies aren't turning to those individuals to say, can you tell me, can you help me about this? And that takes humility to turn around and go, can you help me? They seem to be saying, oh, we get it. But um, it, actually, I think there's still a lot of learning. I'm, I'm not sure what a social media expert is. I, you know, I spend two hours a day, every day, researching, and I'm still learning, and it's still evolving, and it's it's not stopping. Anybody who says that they know all about this space, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So, you know, it's changing um, It's changing the Google model. You know, SEO has completely changed as a result of social media. In what way? Uh, every way. If you, um, you know, the principles, a great post by a guy called Nick Garner from the UK, and I'll send it or Twitter it later, but he's, he's a massive and really talented search guy uh, in the UK. I really have a lot of respect for this guy and, he uh, recently wrote a post, and we, I've actually been talking to him about this stuff, and it, it was about the fact that for his organization to survive in search, he had to take social media seriously because the bloggers and the user-generated content is basically, and don't quote me on the stat, but it's the majority. It, it's the two-thirds of the real estate of that Google homepage is what you get because of the quality and relevancy ranking. So if you're into SEO, your practice is changing. If you're into research, your practice is changing. If you're into advertising, your practice is changing. If you're a CEO of an organization, my God, your your whole philosophy and what your business is based on is changing. Um, because tribally and who we are as a culture and our human operating system has changed as a result of technology. So you know, it, it's a very big ask, and I, um, I, I hear and understand. I, I can't say my experience of all the agencies are, are similar to um, what happened with Naked. You know, I, um, 
don't work with those guys, you know, and obviously it was a really, from my point of view, my own personal point of view, forget about anything in the industry, it certainly did turn my boat. And, um, I, you know, I would be someone who would shop in Witchery, for example. So, you know, it didn't do much for me or, or gave me any engagement. It turned me off from the brand as, as one of their shoppers. But, um, you know, and that's, a, that's a real worry. But why aren't these people in organizations and agencies actually talking to the people that started this phenomenon? And they're individuals. They're not organizations. And I think there's a really massive uh, – just bear with me. There's a, there's, there has to be a rewiring of the way people think. Fee, Fee, let me let me let me ask you a black hat question Sorry. for a second. I was thinking about this today. I mean, uh, the social media stuff started, you know, with blogging back in you know the early two thousands, let's say, when it really started to to take off two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Uh, it's it's you know eight nine years later, we've had the the blogging wave we had the podcasting hype cycle we had mm-hmm. the MySpace hype cycle we had the Facebook hype cycle we've had the Twitter hype cycle all of that in let's say the last eight years it's yeah. like it's one every eighteen months yeah have any of those really changed the way that corporates think or act I was I mean <laughs> I mean have any of them really done any corporates any damage are we kidding ourselves here are we um, I think I think they have done a lot of damage, and uh, the reason why governments are really concerned is just putting aside the um, the brand. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, there's an element that says who, who gives the stuff. It's a brand, but when it comes to political activism and social activism, people are using these channels to actually change the world. Do you think? Do you think? Uh, Literally, uh, do you think Obama's election campaign? really had anything to do with, um, you know, his use of social media? Or was, or was it the fact that he came up with a billion dollars and spent it on television? No, I think that um, where Obama is really good, I mean, I've read the case study of that campaign and a lot of people um, believe it was sort of personality. It was one like a military exercise and you can read it in Tom Watson's book, Cause Wired. I'm going to give him a plug because it's one of the best books I've ever read that um, – got pushed onto me by a, a guy called Scott Drummond, who I've got a lot of respect for as well. But um, if you actually read uh, about how he took social media and he used it as a political activism channel and they organised it like a military exercise in the same way that they would organise people on the street, all they did was apply what they'd done for many years of people on the street knocking on doors and they related it to the social channel. The other way that this channel has changed the world, when things like, um, you know, Hurricane Katrina, another case study that um, Watson relates to in his book, you know, that's what made George Bush go on television and apologise for not getting in aid earlier. He'd have never done that if social channels didn't exist. So one of the things, just putting brand aside for the moment, although there are big questions that organisations and brands have to ask, from a government point of view and from a political point of view, this channel has changed the way that we demand of our governments and the way that we won't let them get away with things. That's never, ever happened before. So if you think of that at, at the level of society and government being responsible, then drill that down to organisations. I, I actually am starting to wonder if, if the 
well, the US government are getting it more than maybe Pepsi-Cola. And I don't mean Pepsi-Cola because I don't know too much about what they're doing, but a brand like Pepsi-Cola. Okay, so let's get back to the corporate question. Do you know of any Australian companies who have had their business affected substantially negatively or substantially positively by blogging, podcasting, MySpace, Facebook or, or Twitter over the course of the last eight or nine years? I guess what I'm getting at is, do they need to give a shit right now or is it still so small that um, they can afford to ignore it? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually stick up for the, the brand that everybody loves to hate in Australia, which is Telstra. And I was pretty impressed, actually, by their agency, um, Katie, in terms of the fact that they launched customer service through um, Twitter on, with Big Pond, and they got slapped because they followed people who said something about Big Pond and effectively, in very basic terms, took them offline. But very quickly, they responded to that and played the game, and I think, came out as winners in terms of what Big Pond were endeavouring to try to do with customer service through Twitter. And I honestly think that they did the very best they could with that. And I applaud them for that, even though, you know, their initial their initial try at it was wrong. When they sort of went, okay, well, we're going to try again. People were hugely supportive. And I think that if you're humble enough to go, look, I'm trying this, I'm not sure if I'm going to get it right. The social community is generally supportive they people like you come and want this channel to work you want to be able to earn money out of it I mean let's all face it but um you know don't go brand bashing without reason and I think it's um for all the publicity about Leslie and Senator Conroy and Telstra and all of that kind of thing I actually think Telstra uh, I support them I think they're really trying to do a good job and I think Mike is sort of their Twitter personality I mean, he's himself, but everyone knows he's sort of there in corporate affairs in Telstra trying to get the head around social media. And I genuinely feel we should be kind of positive to those organisations while they're trying to get their head around it and, and try and do it. And there you go. That's one of the most hated brands in Australia whose database is 70% of the Australian public. So. Okay, but, but, you know, genuinely, do you think that their engagement in Twitter or their Now We Are Talking blog has provided any genuine positive uh, benefits that you can think of? I think it will do. I think it will do because I think the very reason that they're testing it, I think they're actually looking at it from the, the fact it's fallen into corporate affairs, not marketing as such. I genuinely believe they're looking at it as how do we get ahead around this change? I, I, they're probably not moving fast enough because the space is moving so fast. And, you know, Christ, that's a problem with such an archaic organisation that's also running by telecommunication rules that haven't even woken up to what social media is. And, yeah, I just have to stay on my soapbox for one more minute. You know, you know, I've got a couple of teenage kids, Cameron, one that's doing the HSC at the moment. He's going to go study economics. And I'm, like, I'm not even sure if that course is going to be relevant. Make sure my he's daughter, reading Karl Marx. <laughs> exactly. My daughter uh, wants to study media, and I look at the courses, and there's nothing that's relevant. So, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a concern plastics. as an individual. <laughs> plastics, P. Tell them to go into plastics. Fee, I've got a question from Michael Maloney. Do you think the adult, oh, hi, indus- Michael. <laughs> do you think the adult industry has used social media effectively? 
I think the adult industry has always used the internet effectively. And no, no, not the internet, social media. Are they using social media? Have you seen them on Twitter doing a good job? No, <laughs> but I don't, I don't follow people like that. So um, I, don't, I have a, quite a lot of experience in the gambling industry. And, Do you? Uh, really? Well, share, share with us, Fee. Uh, they, oh God, this sounds awful, professional experience. Now, I worked within the gambling sector in the UK, so um, quite involved with the uh, advent of them deregulating their online gambling and mobile gambling and everything. So from a technology point of view, very involved with those guys. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, massive figures and they, they've done a pretty good job. Do I think that those organisations or porn organisations are using social media? No. Do I want to see porn organisations using social media? Probably not. Why not? I do. <laughs> Take it offline. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Did that close you down? That was a big very open, wasn't well, it? Well, <laughs> you know, I, if you don't want to talk about it, we won't talk about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess I have to say, I can think of a couple of examples of companies in Australia um, where I do think social media has caught up, up to them fairly quickly. The, the obvious one is two-click software. I think they yeah. were based down in the Gold Coast. Um, I'm sure everyone knows the two-click story. But, um, you know, I, 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 I hesitate to say, though, that social media did them irreparable damage because it looks like that they were already in deep, deep trouble when they decided to sue the Whirlpool guy. But, you know, if you look at the the Google rank for two clicks or even the Google rank still today for for Kryptonite, which is kind of the the classic story, which dates back probably four years now, I think, in the US, one of the things that I would like to see happen a lot more is that we as, whoops, we as as the community, as the online audience, let's say, uh, use our collective power as the online proletariat to 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 actually shape how corporates treat this kind of stuff. I mean, I, my blog post the other day about Naked Communications in their witchery campaign, what I was trying to get people to do was to write a blog post, more blog posts, talking about how unhappy they were with Naked and witchery and the fact that their campaign was full of lies and deceit. Yes, Nick, you didn't have proletariat in buzzword bingo, did you? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Because what we need to happen, I mean, the only power that we have to, I think, to shape, well, there's different ways that we can shape the way. I mean, most people that are on Twitter work inside of a corporation or, or work inside of a big government agency and, and they can, you know, do, they can try and change it from within, so to speak. Those of us that are on the outside of those sorts of organisations, the, the consultants, the, the, the contractors, the advisors, whatever we are, are slowly trying to engage the senior management in a discussion about how they should be changing the way that they engage with their audience. But the biggest way, what's, um, Raya is saying that Ustream is booked. Anyone else having problems with the Ustream feed? Because, um, I mean, I'm not getting any signals that it's a problem. If anyone else is, if, if it's just Rye, then stop downloading that porn in the background, Rye. It's probably what it is. No, I've got a problem big time. I've been trying to get on it 
Anyway, never mind. Tell your kids to stop downloading porn as well. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's my 16-year-old upstairs, dirty bastard. Yeah, I should get I should get your 16-year-old on the show to discuss about porn and social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you thought this was Snoop's channel, Reens. Well, <laughs> if I do this, this is my Snoopy hat. You know, it's my, my pimp hat. Um, my 70s pimp hat. Um so the, the, the great sort of power that we have, though, is the community, and it's the first time that we, we, we have this kind of power is that we can, we can jump online, we can write a blog post, we can jump on Twitter, and we can actually toxify their Google ranking um, if we are unhappy with the way that they are engaging us as an audience. We can get online and we can say, hey, we don't like this company, we don't like this brand, we don't like this product because they've done this, this, and this. And, um, you know, for the first time, we actually have power to shape the way that these organizations work when they start to understand that power. There's, a, there's another great case study that I use with clients. Um, I don't know how many of you remember a few years ago, the ad agency out of New York that were trying to sue a, a blogger from, I think it was Boston. Um, anyone remember that story, the Boston blogger thing? Um, he uh, anyway, there was a big there was a big ad, ad agency in New York, and there was uh, they they did a um, uh, like a fake ad campaign for again I think it was Massachusetts Boston somewhere like that, and um, Michael Maloney I'm actually working on a Scotch advertiser. This Talisker is from Diageo, and if the folks from Diageo are listening, my office is still open. Talisker, it's from the Isle of Skye, good PD Scotch, 10-year-old, $83.95 at your local bottle shop. Um, and, if, and that's now tax deductible because I plugged it. Um, and uh, this ad agency, uh, so they, they did a campaign for Boston and um, – oh, my screensaver just came on. And they, uh, one of their campaign materials that they put up basically said something – it had a fake phone number like ring 1-800-BOSTON kind of thing. And it was um, – it was actually a, a sex line that they had put into these advertisement materials. It was fake. It was just demo stuff. But it ended up on a website. Some Boston blogger found the website. Yes, I am wearing pants tonight. I'd just like to show you. There are pants. There are pants as part of the ensemble tonight, Kate Carruthers. And um, a blogger found this and did a blog post on it saying, look at these idiots. They put a sex um, phone number on the thing. The ad agency in New York, very big, very old ad agency, decided to sue this blogger, went after him. Uh, everyone blogged about it, and uh, the ad agency had to change their name six months later. They dropped the case against this guy, but they had to, they had to change the name of the agency because their agency, uh, their Google rank had been you know, toxified by the amount of negative blog posts that they got. Do you think it is appropriate in... <laughs> do you... Th I do think it's appropriate that we as the uh, online proletariat use our power to name and shame organizations that aren't doing the right thing or do you think that's, uh, as somebody said to me on Twitter the other day, that's like um, pitchfork mentality? I, I think there's a real worry about the mob, menta the, the mob mentality in social media. I, I think that there's, there's got to be a certain element of... So I, I ran a workshop today for a company and I was sort of um, saying to them that this sort of mob mentality where people just sort of 
go a bit crazy. It's a bit like if you, you know, social media is just like if you're selling in the pub and you're having a conversation with someone and they might disagree with you. Does that mean you will start shouting and, okay, some people do punch each other, but it, the majority of us don't think that's appropriate behaviour. I personally think that etiquette um, should exist in social media and I, I think that um, the way we would behave offline and towards people um, is is the way that we should behave online as well. I, well I, hold I on. Don't... Let, me, let, me, let me challenge you there. I mean, there's a difference between standing on your chair and shouting and having a reasonable disagreement or, or debate with someone. Surely debate is permissible in uh, uh, polite society and telling somebody that you don't like what they're doing. No, I, I absolutely agree with you with that. If it's debate and, you, you know, you're putting your views across, that's fine. At, at times, you know, I, I just think sometimes at times it can get, maybe it's because um, it is a bit more anonymous on, or people feel we all know it's not anonymous, but people feel it's anonymous, that they think they can maybe go a step further in that debate than perhaps they would do otherwise. And I'm saying social is still social in the way that it's always been for 100 years. And, that you know, once you put that point of view across without, um, you know, it necessarily having to take it too far and there's a fine balance because when you see some of the political activism campaigns that have gone on it's fantastic that people have come out and they've been so passionate and you know really speaking their minds and I think all of that is absolutely fantastic but when people um I don't know overtly attack just because they think they can I don't agree with that you know I still think there's a way to behave that's all I'm saying I still think there's a way to behave. Sure, and I agree with you, and I'm, um, I'm a big one for keeping yourself nice in online discussions, as much as people think that I'm not. But even <laughs> when debating Christians or corporates, I think, it's, I think we not only have a right, but I think we have a debate. Uh, let, me, let me start that again. I don't think we only have an opportunity. I think we have a right to debate uh, the sorts of issues that are important to us, and that includes corporate behaviour. It includes how yeah. corporations are engaging us. It includes how, uh, thank you, Michael Maloney, not only a right but an obligation. That's exactly where I was going. That should have obligation should have been one of the buzzword bingo words for tonight. Not only a right but an not only a right but an obligation to speak up and shape the community, the society that we live in, and and as. Um, somebody said in the chat line before, you know, we now have an opportunity to do that in large numbers with large reach for the first time. Now, in doing that, I think we should keep ourselves nice. We should be polite. We should stick to the facts and not attacking uh, people's personalities, not attacking their character, not attacking their intelligence. But let's try and stick to the facts of the discussion. Surely that's not only acceptable, but responsible. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I think so. And, you know, you, it gives us the opportunity to have a different point of view. And um, I think it's important that we, we all have a different point of view and are able to sort of debate it without being harangued for it. And um, But on the other side of it, I think you're absolutely right, there are corporations that have been able to get away with things that they just should never have been able to get away with and they're being found out as a result of social media, and I'm all for that. 
Okay, so let's let's talk about um, some of the stuff that uh, you're doing with um, GetSocialAdvice.com. Tell us about GetSocialAdvice.com. Well, I suppose my attitude to um, this, I've not really operated at all in social media advertising, as I was called. I would call it. Uh, the work I've got very much involved with is more purist word of mouth, finding out who people are genuinely interested, why, why they might be genuinely interested about talking about a client and really enabling that conversation. And um, I obviously, as I've talked tonight, I recognize the fact that organizations that might have really smart people in them, but they were completely uh, hamstrung by some of the issues around that organization. So it meant organizational change, advice, hand-holding, understanding, I suppose, opening the lid on it. And the first um, few kind of, actually the phrase was uh, coined to me by Ben Barron, which was he'd say, you know, you could take the cold face of social media into clients, you know. And at that time, just about a year ago, you know, maybe a bit less, that clients going, oh, the blogger, they're really scary. And actually they'd meet these guys that I take in and they go, oh, they're not scary. They're really intelligent people and they're showing me what to do and they're really helpful and they really want to build this space. So I have this big thing about um, the individuals that have built this channel and I do think it's about individuals. And so I got together with um, uh, Noeve Bat and uh, Gavin Heaton and uh, Polka.Bride, uh, who, who runs all the most successful female bridal blogs. And said, hey, you know, if uh, we were able to go to clients and be able to handhold them and talk to them about the issues as opposed to implementation or, or creation, but the issues, how does that sit? And, you know, the interest in, in that service has been, you know, it's very, very interesting. We haven't actually officially launched yet, but that's the principle. And on the other side of it, I know I've had uh, conversations with you, Cameron, but also with a number of other people about the fact as individuals, you're able to build content that builds big audiences. How do you integrate? So, how do you introduce that to organisations and go? I know previously you might have used X, Y, and Z to create your content, but maybe in the social media space, you should you should look at least for advice, if not implementation, from the people that have done it and built this channel for what it is. It's as simple as that. Okay, so let me let me ask you this question. Um, do you think that traditional agencies are going to feel threatened by uh, you taking a bunch of uh, bloggers and Twitterers into their clients? Are they going to try and get in the way of doing this? Are they going to try and co-opt the social media space? Um, what, the agencies are going to feel threatened by that? Yeah, the traditional yeah. agencies that control you know, a lot of yeah. uh, money and a, lo- you know, a yeah. lot of strategies. Yeah, I think that there is um, there is a percentage of them. I, I wouldn't say all of them. I work for a couple of agencies or work with a couple of agencies in Sydney that I subcontract to, and um, you know they're pretty smart people. They'll they'll be pretty honest and go, "We don't have these resources, nor are we set up, nor were we ever set up to uh, talk to people the way you talk to them." Um, and that's great. There's um, unfortunately there is that emergence like you saw in the digital space where agencies were setting themselves up to be all things to all people. And I, I had a bugbear with that at that time going, you know, what's digital, you know, usability is an expert 
it, 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 it's a profession in itself. Search is a profession in itself. You know, so many components to digital, and how can one house do them all? Why not actually uh, talk about collaboration with specialists? And my, I suppose, my mantra is collaboration of specialists is the smarter way to go, as opposed to trying to go, hey, we've got a big branded agency and we do it all. I, I just don't believe they ever have done from, you know, regardless of social media. I just don't think you can do. So uh, my view is when clients talk to me about implementation, it's, right, let's go find the best people to implement for you. And a lot of the time it's the individuals who are already doing it, building big audiences, doing what they do really well. Use them. But the the agencies uh, aren't going to just sit there and and let this space move away from them. Surely they're going to either try and promote themselves as, as digital as social media experts or they're going to try and hire the social media experts. But your approach is rather than create another agency to just take in some of the more successful or active individuals in this space? Yeah, it, it, you know, I said right at the beginning, this whole space requires, whether it's an organisation or an advertising agency or a media agency, it requires people to rethink the way they're thinking and that's the challenge. You've got to turn it on its head. It, the, the old rules do not apply. And uh, people who think, well, we'll set up this department and we'll hire these people, it won't work. It just won't work. It's too fluid a space. It's changing too much. And it requires people to think differently. And, and that's the big problem. That's the big challenge. Okay. Um, one of the questions from uh, Kate Carruthers, hi, Kate, is um, what about personal brand versus corporate oh. brand issues? If I have relationships or comms online and it intersects with my company, what happens? Um, you know, there, there, there are obviously um, uh, issues of people that we all know who work for a company and are very active online as themselves, but also obviously get involved in talking about the affairs of their employer. And there's uh, some friction. I mean, I experienced that when I worked at Microsoft. There was friction about... Uh, uh, at you know Microsoft's level about who I was online as an individual versus uh, you know how Microsoft wanted to be represented by their employees. I mean, where do you see corporations should draw the line, or get, how do they give guidance around these sorts of issues? I think they have to give guidance. I mean, um, I was fortunate enough to work with um, the Care Network on preparing um, some guidance materials for the countries around the Earth Hour campaign. And it's a really difficult one when you, you actually look at it because there's got to be this freedom of speech. That's what the, the, the whole space is about. But the other side of it is, um, you know, it, there are still copyright issues that, and, uh, that exist in the world and there's still, you know, issues around slander and one thing and another. And so I think that, you know, if your employees are going to be on the space, you have to have a corporate policy around that and what they either can and cannot say about um, the company they work for, whether that's company secrets or whatever it might be. Um, and they also should be made aware that it might be a seemingly open, we can do whatever we want, but copyright rules and um, slander rules still apply. Well, let's, let's talk about the idea of personal brand because there's some debate going on about that. Um, Ustream 48766, this is uh, Fee Bendel on the phone. Uh, check out at Fee Bendel, F-I-B-E-N-D-A-L. Thanks for joining us, 48766. 
Um, strictly, I have read Wisdom of Crowds by James Surowiecki. Um, great, great book. Um, it's available for free as an ebook, I think, too, uh, online. Um, let's talk about personal brands. Uh, here's my thoughts on personal brands. I think personal brands are real. Um, and, and I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you why I think they're important. Let's take a guy like Nick Hodge. Um, I think, uh, and I know Nick's uh, listening in, so um, you know, I'll try not to embarrass him, him, embarrass him too much. But Nick's one guy inside of Microsoft. Uh, I think in Australia they've got, last count I heard, 1,000 employees. But Nick has a personal brand. I would say that, and let's talk about what a brand is, first of all. A brand is um, a shortcut to a bunch of values that you think of. You think of, um, I think of uh, Talisker as a brand, and I think, you know, reasonably priced, good, single malt, scotch, won't let me down. It's been around since uh, 1830. Uh, it's made in Lochaport in Scotland. And I think that uh, it's a shortcut for a bunch of things that you associate with a company or a product. And the same with an individual. You know, you can call it a, a reputation. You can call it a brand. If I think about Nick Hodge, I think of, you know, I trust Nick. Um, I think Nick's a good bloke. I don't think he's going to bullshit to me. I think he's smart. I think he's active in communities, both online and offline. And they're, they're all those sorts of things that I, I can say is Nick Hodge. Nick Hodge is all of those sorts of things, um, you know, that he, he represents all of those sorts of values. Whether he works at Adobe or Apple or Microsoft or the next company that Nick works with, he will represent all of those things. And so I do think personal brands have uh, a lot of value. I mean, you can call it reputation, but surely that's what a brand is when you have a whole bunch of, of values or attributes that can be summed up in, uh, in a word. And to me, you know, a, that's what Nick Hodge stands for, for me. And I think companies need to leverage these, these people that have online brands that, that, that have a, a ring of integrity, of ethics, of intelligence, of connectiveness about them. So, I, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the idea of personal brand versus corporate brand, Fee? Uh, I, I think personal brand is, is really, really important. I think unless you've got a real brand that stands out against every scrutiny and does deliver on its brand promise, you know, it, and there's very few brands that do that, let's be honest about it, um, I think personal branding is I totally agree with you. I think it's absolutely the way to go. And I think, you know, Nick making that statement, it makes you feel differently about Microsoft than perhaps you would do otherwise. So I'm, I'm 100% of what you're saying. I think it's absolutely the way that it's going to emerge. I think it's going to emerge even more and more, actually. It, it, when I see um, what my teenagers do, personal branding and badges they have on their MySpace or Facebook sites, very important to them as a statement to say who they are so you know when they then go into employment they carry that with them forward and i'll tell you why i think this is important from a corporation's perspective we were talking earlier on about uh, when shit happens and you know something flares up online how do you deal with it you know and i remember this happening um at microsoft back in the mid 90s from a blogging perspective you know pre-twitter days when um, there'd be some major product gaffe or, or strategy gaffe or some PR gaffe that happened somewhere in Microsoft. And the first thing that 
everyone would do in the blogosphere and everyone in the mainstream media, quite frankly, would do is they'd go to Scoble and they'd say, Robert, what's going on? And Robert had a good enough reputation at the time mm. where he could say to everybody, you know what, listen, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Um, I haven't been able to get hold of the product team. Let me, give, me, give me a couple of hours. Let me talk to the product team and I'll come back to you. And then he would do that and he'd come back and go, okay, I've spoken to the, the product manager and he says or she says X or she says here's what's really going on. And because Robert had uh, a high degree of credibility, he had a high degree of integrity and trust, he had been critical of Microsoft many times and was still employed there, he had that level of, he had a brand, he had a level of, of respectability, a level of trust with his audience that carried a lot of weight. And if Robert came out and said, look, um, here's what the product manager says, people just believed him as probably telling the truth as opposed to, you know, what their PR uh, representatives, uh, you know, the PR people said something, you think it's spin. If Robert said it, you, you know, he had his critics, but most people, I'd say 95% of people believe, took him at his word, you know. And, and I think in, when to, in times when shit blows up, you need to have those people out there that are trusted, that are reliable, that do have a personal brand that can represent your company. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. No, I think there's been a lot of information out of the States on personal branding, but it, it, it goes beyond that because, like you say, it offers um, or it affords a level of credibility that you just can't buy, money can't buy. So... Um, you know, as long as you maintain that credibility and that trust, and uh, you know that that that's where it's all changing. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's actually not about persuasion tactics or marketing tactics that are based on persuasion and making it look good and sexy. It's actually a bit more earthy than that, and it might not sound <laughs> sexy, but actually, that's what people want. They want real things from real people, and that's why social media's exploded in the first place. So, you know. A personal brand, I actually think, is one of those things that's going to involve more and more and more, and I'm really interested to watch the space. Uh, great suggestion from 79815 that I should drink more scotch. Thank you, 79815. Very, very good piece of advice. I don't have my ice handy to cool it down, but um, I'll take it neat and uh, warm. Um, so inside of an organisation fee, we were talking about this earlier on, um, the... Uh, can you train people to be that that respected um, personal brand, or uh, like, can you take the CEO and do that, or the marketing director? I mean, I think uh, let's use Telstra as a good example. I think uh, Mike Higginbotham started off relatively well in Twitter as the guy to go to for Telstra related issues, um, but I think he he lost a lot of credibility over the Leslie Nasser issue. Um, certainly in my eyes, I mean, I think he completely balls that up and didn't have the the integrity to come out and admit that it, they had ballsed it up and that he had ballsed it up. Um, how hard is it to find people inside of organisations that can step up to that role? Yeah, you know, I think Mike's got, a, I mentioned Telstra earlier, he's got a particularly tough job and a massive job. I, um, you know, I've had a number of face-to-face meetings with him and he's very credible and very interested in the challenges he's facing and how he's trying to face them. That That's my own personal view. But 
um, in terms of, you're absolutely right, in terms of integrity and honesty and personality, um, that's where it's at. Can you train someone to do that? Um, I don't I don't think you can train someone to be anything other than they are. And if the, Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the business world and we've all uh, we've all had our experiences of it that you know if you want to get a job you've got to behave this way you've got to culturally fit in this way you've got to do this this and this and and that's what this channel is changing but I'll go back to the example I gave you of um, looking at a set of customer service people and seeing some people emerge who just had the right personality to the space who could you know they might not have been the CEO but they would have been great front people um for that particular financial services institution, they had the personality and they could do it. Um, we went a long way to trying to make that happen, and unfortunately, ASIC rules stopped them from doing that. And that that was actually a real shame because if they'd have launched those couple of lads, young lads, out into the social space, it, they I think they would have achieved an enormous amount. To be perfectly honest with you, but um, no, can you be trained in it? No, I don't think so. I think that's where we're seeing a lot of the failings is that people have been too trained the other way. So PR companies spamming bloggers' boxes with nab messages. I mean, what is that all about? You know, it's not about personality or engagement at all. It's just about shouting a message. What do you think about? Um, it, takes, it takes humility. It, people need to learn humility. They need to go. I got it right. I got it wrong. Can you help me? Please, can you help me? Humility and humanity. I mean, I was going to ask Absolutely. you, what, what do you think of um, br- uh, company names on Twitter? I, um, personally, when I'm going through my follower list um, or my, the, my following list, I tend to delete anybody I, um, you know, or, or I don't follow anyone that seems to be a company brand that's not represented as a human. Uh, unless it's you know something particularly unique, or maybe a news service, or you know maybe if Taliska um, had a Twitter account, I might follow Taliska. But you know, very few company Twitter brands will I follow. What about you? Uh, I suppose in the early days, I was quite interested in following. You know, eighteen months ago, quite interested in following. Uh, companies and seeing how they're emerging I'm the same as you and I have a confession to make there's a company I'm engaged with and I don't follow their Twitter account (laughs) they actually know I absolutely totally disagree that they've got a Twitter account as well but I'm just I'm just like what is the point hold on let's Um, let's drill down (laughs) on that you've got a client and you don't think they should have a Twitter account yeah why they had this Twitter account before I got involved with them and they know my view on it and I won't follow them I just go what is the point like there is nothing that they're offering of value now if they've got someone in that organization who is uh, I'll tell you who's really good I think he's really good on Twitter is Charis Palmer from like from online banking review is if you follow her she'll talk about her product but you know like any of the bloggers do post her posts and stuff but she'll talk about what else she's doing in her life and you see Charis for who she is even though she's you know guardian of online banking review and I actually find what she's got to say on Twitter quite engaging and quite interesting but it's just not all about banking you know and so from that point of view I think if someone gets the balance right she's a very good example of someone who can get the balance right and go, well, you know, obviously this is where I'm from and this is what I do. So she's a but, human being, not a, not yeah, a, not a company. Yeah, exactly. 
But, you know, she obviously has the personality to do it. And I, I don't, I just don't think it's everybody's thing. And at the moment, everybody's saying, let's all do social media. It's just not everybody's thing. And there's companies that should not be doing social media. Let's what? be honest about it. Why? Because I just don't think it may necessarily be the right or optimal channel for them from a marketing point of view. And as a marketeer, you should be looking at optimizing your spend to the best channels that are going to get you the return, whether that's brand, whether that's sales, whatever it might be. And I think there's some organizations that maybe the space isn't right for that, you know, they shouldn't be there for. And I've got a brand in my head, but I'm not allowed to say it because I was involved in a meeting where it's just like, it just isn't going to work unless they actually change as an organization. They'll just get destroyed. Yeah, look, I, I agree with you. I think there are some organizations that don't need to use social media. And, and the, the, the classic ones for me are the organizations that only have half a dozen customers, like uh, a couple of mining companies. They've only got half a dozen customers, unless they're trying to help people think that they're not completely evil corporations. Um, if they're only dealing with half a dozen customers, they probably don't need to be doing much uh, social media-wise, depending on who their stakeholders are and... Um, and how they want to uh, communicate with those stakeholders. One of the questions that somebody asked here was, um, uh, let me let me just scroll up. Uh, aren't corporate execs scared of being real? It's good for red. I can look for the red here. Um, oh, it was Kate Carruthers again. Somebody else asked a question. Damn it! Um, aren't corporate corporation senior management afraid of being real? Do you think they're afraid of being real? Think. Yes, I do. I think, you know, you're looking at, um, I completely agree with Kate. I I think we're looking at, um, it's a cultural change. It's a massive cultural change. It's, it's not a little bit of a tweak. It's not engaging in a new channel like direct marketing was or digital was. This is a lot bigger than, you know, that's ever come around the corner. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I agree with Kate. I think there's... Um, the fear, the misunderstanding, um, the the training that has gone before of who you should be and how you should be, it, it's almost pre-programmed them that they find it so hard to switch to a different way of thinking. To get and off this, message, to not spin, totally. just to this, talk like humans? The, the companies that are completely winning this in this space are the companies that actually are really fluid with their social strategy they, they might go, right, well, we've got this strategy around this space, but the companies that actually continually listen, continually change, and continu- continually go with the ebbs and flows are the ones that will win in the space. But how many companies are genuinely set up to do that? I would argue very few, very few. Yeah, Nicole Jensen makes a good um, point, I think, in the um, chat stream here that the the senior execs, the people that have become senior execs in most of our large organizations became successful inside of those companies because they were good at playing the game as it was in the late 20th century, early 21st century, which was about control the message, stay on message, you know, uh, managing all of those sorts of aspects of the, the customer positioning and the marketing. And so they have this very, very entrenched mindset that is a complete antithesis to what you know we're trying to do with Twitter, and and you know I think that um, the Clue Train guys, uh, Doc Searles and Dave Weinberger, and, uh, etc., 
really, you know, they were talking about this 10 years ago, the fact that audiences want to be communicated with as humans, openly, honestly, transparently. It's 10 years later and we haven't seen a lot of change in the corporate space. I'm still wondering, Fee, to get back to this question before, how do we change these corporate cultures that have this such an entrenched uh, culture of um, controlling the message? How do, how do we change that? Does it require us to become more mobilized as a community to get the message through to them about what we require? I, I think they're getting the message just because it's so big and uh, some of the more um, – very, you know, you've got to respect these people for the companies they've built or the positions they've got into um, are definitely asking the question and they, they, they're they definitely aware that they need training, they need to understand it, you know, that they're, they're not blind to it. I think the problem is that, you know, they come from an environment and a culture and they might be in their late 50s, 60s, where, you know, they're the leader and they've demanded loyalties from others and that's been their attitude, you know, and um, if, if there's a bit of a, an issue, they, they'll calm people down so they feel comfortable and settled and everything will be okay as long as you don't rock the boat. And that's kind of the culture we're coming from. Uh, but the problem is now they're having to reassess the rules on compliance and they can't demand that compliance uh, because they're not going to get it. That's the truth. And they're not going to get it from their customers. That's That's been the first point of this. I mean, we might see changes in inside organisations where people go, well, I'm not going to be that compliant. I I actually demand the right to question. And that's, um, I actually feel sorry for a lot of those people because they, they have done a good job. I mean, they've built and we've seen great things out of them. The fact is the world has changed so rapidly and so quickly that they don't understand that we're not being compliant. And, and if you like, the tribes changed. You know, we're a tribal. We we're a tribal group of people. We work on a on an operating system and have done for years. And uh, this isn't a revolution; it's an evolution. And anybody that says, "Oh, it's a, it's a revolution and it's about marketing," it's an evolution of who we are as people, and and how we communicate. Full stop. Fee, um, final question, and we'll we'll wrap up this part of the show. There's live music coming, folks. So stick around if you um, want to have some free banter and, and live music. Um, there's a journalist in Australia, I think his name is Ian Grayson, um, whose blog I was reading today, and, uh, and I tweeted uh, this comment. He, said, he was basically saying, uh, you know, there's no good b- reason for business people to be on Twitter. If anyone can find me the link for that, let me know. Um, there's no good reason for business uh, being on Twitter. Twitter's just... Uh, all hype, there's no value in it, and it'll go away soon, so um, just ignore it and get on with business. How would you respond? I, uh, I think that's a very big statement. I think it actually really depends who the organisation are. I, I've mentioned before, I think, if you can get the balance between personal branding and branding right on Twitter, I think there's a role for corporations. I think that if people are willing to be John Smith, who happens to be the, I don't know, CEO of the biggest bank in Australia, for want of a better word, and he's quite happy to be on Twitter, I think he could probably do quite a good job for his brand. Whether the brand should be on Twitter, probably not. 
Thank you, Fee Bendel, for joining us and sharing your insights as um, somebody who's been around uh, for, for a long time doing digital okay. stuff. On, Don't push uh, the long time bit. <laughs> <laughs> people still want to know um, <laughs> how you can possibly have been doing it for 22 years, seeing as you're only 24. Thank you, Fee Bendel. <laughs> thank you, and thanks are you gonna for stick everything ar- Are you going to stick around? Yeah, I will do. All right, Fee's going to stick around, folks. Um, so that's the official part of the show out of the way. We're going to do. So I'm going to uh, sing another song, and um, then we'll be back for some free chat from Free Rants. I got to finish Buzzword Bingo um, for Nick. So don't go away.